Welcome to episode 119 of From the Front Porch, a collection of conversations on books, small business, and life in the South. I'm Annie Jones, owner of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in beautiful downtown Thomasville, Georgia, and I'm missing Chris. He is in and out of the shop um, a couple of times this summer, including a couple of times this month, um, doing all kinds of academic things. And so I am going to record a few episodes solo. So don't worry, Chris is not gone forever. He is just doing things that will help him have some really important letters after his name. So that is more important, I think, than from the front porch, sadly. So today I've got a really special and different kind of episode. It's a little less literary, but have no fear because I partner with Sarah Holland, the host, one of the hosts of the popular political podcast, Pantsuit Politics. Pantsuit Politics is one of my weekly must-listen-to podcasts, and I was thrilled to partner with them and create two special episodes. So the episode you'll be listening to today features Sarah Holland, and we're going to talk about the politics of being Southern. And then in a couple of weeks, you will find an episode on pantsuit politics all about reading fiction and the importance of reading fiction in establishing nuance. So it's all about empathy and we named different book titles. I went through like my some of my favorite um, recent fiction reads that kind of helped me expand my views on things. And so this is going to be less literary. It's going to be more political. And then their episode is going to be less political, more literary. So we kind of switched it up a little bit, hopefully, so we can have a few new listeners as well. So if you have hopped over from Pantsuit Politics, welcome. We normally have conversations on books, small business, and life in the South. And to me, this conversation with Sarah completely falls under that last category. We talked about where the concept of the Southern maker really came from, why designing women is more than just a sitcom, and what really defines a Southerner. Is it place or is it politics? So I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. I really enjoyed talking to Sarah and with Without further ado, here is our conversation. Welcome to From the Front Porch. Chris is out of town this week, so I had the privilege, or I have the privilege, of talking to Sarah Holland. Sarah is the co-host from the left of Pantsuit Politics, one of my favorite weekly listens, and she's also a city commissioner for Paducah, Kentucky. Today, we are going to talk about the politics of being Southern. Mm. Hi, Sarah. Hi. Don't run. Don't run screaming, everybody. It's okay. It's okay. I know some people have an instinct when the word politics come up, comes up. This is a safe space. I know. Hopefully, book people will understand that reading and politics go together, and there is an episode on pantsuit politics about some of that, about fiction and nuance and how it helps us be more empathetic. But I wanted to have Sarah on, and we wanted to talk about politics, so we kind of are switching places here a little bit. Yeah, I'm so excited. Okay, so the first question that I want to kind of get us started and then hopefully just have a conversation from there is, I think I can tell by your voice, um, but lifelong Southerner? Yes, I am an eighth generation Kentuckian. I grew up in Paducah. I moved to Lexington, Kentucky to attend college at Transylvania University, which has its own long Southern history. Jefferson Davis, the president of the Confederacy, attended Transylvania University. Um, Also, John Marshall Harlan, the lone dissenter in Plessy versus Ferguson, just to balance the scales a bit. Um, Then I lived in Durham, North Carolina with my husband while he finished law school at Duke. And then I spent um, five years working in Washington, D.C. in politics. I would not call... 
um, Washington, D.C. Southern. And I think mm-hmm. it was my very first, not my first experience because my father lives in California. So I spent summers in California when I was growing up, but my first adult experience with Southern stereotypes and the acceptability mm-hmm. of Southern stereotypes when I was in Washington, D.C. And so when it came time and I got pregnant, I ran home to Paducah because I wanted to raise my babies here in my hometown of, of Paducah, Kentucky. So I obviously live, run the bookshop in Thomasville, Georgia. Um, I grew up in nearby Tallahassee, Florida, but I said this before, I went to school in Alabama and I always just assumed like on a map, Tallahassee, pretty Southern. And there is some Southern culture there for sure. Although I don't drink sweet tea. I don't like grits. Like I don't think I have too much of an accent, Um, but I moved to Alabama to go to college and that was when I realized that there are different Southern cultures. Oh, yeah. Um, and I think people maybe who don't live in the South aren't really aware of how vastly different Georgia is from Alabama, from Mississippi. Like, I know it's all lumped together and there are sure, certainly similarities, but it is so different. And, and going to school in Alabama opened my eyes to real, I guess, Southern culture and, and how much I did or did not belong. Oh yeah, in Southern culture for sure. I mean, I think that I think that's a good and excellent starting point because I think there is a politics of who's a real Southerner. I think that's for sure a thing. So I am in Kentucky, which if you ask somebody in Connecticut, is Kentucky the South? They wouldn't even hesitate. But like my husband is from Atlanta, and we have an ongoing debate because he was raised in Atlanta, which is no doubt the South. But his parents are from Massachusetts and California. So it's not like he had this intense Southern culture. Like my great-grandmother made biscuits every single day of her life. Okay, so it's an interesting, and, you know, my family were tobacco farmers and tenant farmers and, you know, seed cleaners and all these stuff. So that's that's the difficulty of, so is your history Southern, where you live is Southern, Mm -hmm. and there's also the mix of what, where you live, how Southern is it? So like Paducah is, I will acknowledge, it is not Deep South. It is a very interesting mix of sort of Midwestern sensibilities and because we are five minutes from Illinois and very close to Missouri, but also Southern sensibilities. I, I, you know, I grew up here. It's my home. I love it. I love the mix because I think there is a, um, a quiet, hard workingness more in Paducah than I have found and hard workingness is a word I obviously just made up. Um, (laughs) Then I found other places in the South. Like when I lived in North Carolina, I'm not implying that people in North Carolina don't work hard, but it's just, it's a different mentality and it's a different, but at the same time, like there are very Southern things about Paducah and the way I was raised and the foods I ate and the, but I, you know, I also bristled just at this, concept overall it's sort of why I stopped reading Garden and Gun because it felt very like you're only southern if you do these fancy things which really bothers me um so yeah yeah, there's a lot there's so much of that there is so much of that and Thomasville is I did not even know Garden and Gun magazine existed until I moved here and it is our best-selling magazine every month we get tons of them. Um, my husband, and I think this is fine to say on the podcast, my husband is from um, Birmingham, Alabama, and even from Birmingham to Thomasville was quite a difference. Um, South Georgia, I think, is very different from Alabama, um, but we live like in the heart of southern hunting plantation country, mm-hmm. and I think my husband coined that Thomasville is the Downton Abbey of the South. And <laughs> I think... <laughs> 
<laughs> I think that's safe for me to say now that I've lived here almost four years. I hope that I can say that. Um, and everybody just <laughs> just smile and, and take it as a compliment. Um, but it is so vastly different from Tallahassee or from, um, so on the Gulf Coast, um, and when I say Gulf Coast, I mean like the panhandle of Florida, there's cracker culture, which I always thought was like this derogatory, almost kind of racial term. But instead I've learned, no, that means like pull yourself up by your bootstraps, kind of hard knock, gritty Southern, uh, Southern culture. And that cracker culture is very different from my husband who grew up in Birmingham, Alabama. So it is fascinating to me when my husband and I travel or when we, my husband is an attorney and he loves to take pictures of County courthouses. And so we go, to the most random places um, in these tiny little towns. And you get to just see this really interesting side of Southern culture and see how nuanced it really is. So well, I hope he's um, going to put out a book of county courthouses because I would buy that book. So he, we did all the county courthouses in Florida, um, which there are 67 counties in Florida. And then we are starting on Georgia, but Georgia has too many counties. Oh, girl, <laughs> Kentucky has all the counties. We have 120 counties. Okay, so I think, I don't remember how many Georgia has, but it's the same amount as Texas. And I'm like, yeah. guys, Texas is huge. Like The counties Texas make no sense. It's just a thing. You just have to let it be. It's weird things. It's not like I'm going to get rid of, we're going to get rid of counties in Kentucky anytime soon. <laughs> I think that the point about pol- the garden and gun, sort of the politics of, you know, plantation, Downton Abbey, whatever you want to call it. That's always what bothers right. me. Like, I think that when I first started reading the magazine, I think a lot of people had this reaction, which is, oh, my gosh, thank you for pointing out that this is a beautiful place with a beautiful culture. And we're not all, you know, the stereotype. We're not all um, honey boo boo or whatever the heck her name is. Like, right. And that right. is totally understandable because, there, like I said, there it is there is a certain acceptability of um, cracking on Southern people or cracking on Southern culture. But, like, then I just Mm -hmm. thought, then it started, it became this, like, you know, it is a little tone deaf to (laughs) play up the history of particularly the upper social class of the South as if it is this completely glamorous, admirable thing not built primarily on the backs of an enslaved population. Like, that just it just became right. so tone deaf to me. Like, come on, you guys, like acknowledge the difficulty of this history and some of the, you know, the, the people who have maintained this familial old money style that you dig. I mean, they go back and forth between, I think, like an old money style and a hipster style. It's like they're like a generous mix of both. But at the same yeah. time, it just started to feel so icky. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. It's an interesting this is an interesting place to live because I feel like those those two identities that kind of hip, and I think it comes from Southerners a lot of times being makers, right, mm-hmm. um, and being creatives and storytellers, and we have a lot of musicians and a lot of writers. Um, and so you've got kind of that faction, and then you've also got the old money who helps fund those things. Yep. I mean, um, so, so it's those two... Those two identities, I think, really come to a head in this part of the country specifically. Well, and I think, you know, they, there is no way to talk about the politics of the South without talking about the politics of race. And we're two nice white ladies, so we'll do the best we can. We'll yep. probably say something full warning that's, um, cl- you know, close minded or just blind. We'll do the best we can. 
But, mm-hmm. you know, the maker, it's such a, even the, the maker culture of the South is so complicated because the culture of the South and the culture of um, enslaved populations and what they, when I went to the Whitney Plantation, which is an experience uh, you and I talked about on my podcast, she talked mm-hmm. about the food pathways and how important those were. And the Southern food that people take such pride in was primarily a lot of that came from Africa with the enslaved populations. And I kind of asked the guide, I thought, you know, what's so interesting to me is the idea that like you would strip someone of everything. You would say you cannot have your name. You like, I mean, part of the psychology of enslaving people is just to to strip everything away, but that you would allow Mm -hmm. them to keep food, which is such a comforting thing to to have from your home. Like that's such a, a, you know, almost spiritual experience when you eat something. And she said, the guide was like, well, I think it's a couple of things. One, you want somebody to cook and people only know how to cook certain things. So you're going to let them just for the, you know, efficiency sake, cook some, cook what, yeah. yeah, cook what they know how to cook. And she was like, and then I think, you know, these are a lot like the plantation owners at the Whitney were Germans. And she was like, it's not like they had like, amazing food (laughs) so if you if you allow someone to cook what they know and you're like oh that's great please keep making that then that's how it becomes a part of the culture and there's a really fantastic um writer african-american man who writes about southern food pathways and i can't remember his name right now but i'll find it and put it um share it in your show notes but i just think like that and the music and all that the idea that just like everything else in the south was built and this very um, complex and at times tragic way. And when I think the best makers, particularly the best culturally um, white makers, be they white authors, you know, Faulkner, Harper Lee, or um, songwriters, whoever they are, they acknowledge that. They don't run from it. You know what I mean? Like, well, and that's what we talked about on your on your episode too. Was we were talking about the how grateful you were that the Whitney plantation didn't hide their mm-hmm. history. Instead, they really talked openly um, because we can't. I think we can't learn from past mistakes or past errors unless we're willing to like in the South the quote air your, our dirty laundry, mm-hmm. like kind of get it out in the open and talk about it and learn from it. I don't think you can learn from it when it's buried and nobody's acknowledging that it happened. Absolutely. Well, and I always like to say that the politics of my particularly Southerness was heavily informed by Designing Women. Did you ever watch Designing Women? (laughs) Yes, not much, but I have seen a couple of episodes. Uh, It's my favorite. I've seen all the episodes several times. And they, you know, because they were, the people who wrote it were good friends of the Clintons and they were very progressive people, Linda Bloodworth Thompson and her husband, like it's their politics informs the show and it's a very political show for being a 30 minute comedy but there's a lot mm-hmm. about being there's a really great episode i think it's i think the title is something like e- eating dirt where there's like a new york times columnist and he writes this very derogatory thing about southerners who eat dirt and like playing on all these terrible um stereotypes and she calls him and does one of her famous um, Julia Sugar Baker tirades against him. And then there's a really <laughs> great one where they do like a plantation and they want to have plantation tours and get them all dressed up in um, Southern Bell uniforms and sort of talk about all that. And they do a really good sort of now it's not the most racially informed because it was still being written and acted primarily by white people. But I do think like they there's the sort of they do a really good um sort of on the politics of tourism and and turning that time 
into just this cheap tourist experience and not acknowledging the hardships but of all, the entire populations that went through during the Civil War. It was just, it's, I love me some design yeah. women. So I want to ask you about that because I listen to Pantsuit Politics and you are Sarah from the left. And I feel like you have talked before about how you have not always been on the left. And growing up in the South, I feel like, I mean, your default, and I'll just be totally honest here, when I was a kid or when I was 18, I just registered as Republican, almost like didn't even think there might be another option for me. And that has since changed because um, I feel a lot for Beth because I feel like, oh, Beth is um, your co-host on the podcast and she comes from the right, but I no longer really identify with the right. But in the South for a long time, it felt like, it was just what you did, which is funny because then my aunts and grandparents all were registered Democrats because there was a period of time when Southerners just registered as Democrats. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious about your kind of ideology, ideological shift. Oh, yeah. Well, so I grew up um, in the Southern Baptist Church, which involved uh, and, and sort of informed a lot of my politics uh, growing up. Now, I will say that, and I don't think I'm alone in this experience, that the women in my family were more progressive. Um, both my mom and my grandmother had gone. I think my grandmother and my great-grandmother were always sort of more progressive than most women their age, but particularly my grandmother. When both my mom and my grandmother went through divorces, it sort of radicalizes you in a way I think sometimes happens. Yeah. Um, and so I felt that growing up, too. But um, And my grandfather, who, had he lived, I'm sure would have voted for Donald Trump. But when I was growing up, he was a blue dog Democrat, and he— um, hated Reagan and talked about it regularly and um, was sort of <laughs> big on FDR and standing up for like the working uh, poor farmer and all that stuff. So I got I got a little mix from my family, but the culture itself was strongly, you know, I remember hearing about Bill Clinton murdering people in, in church and like writing a letter to him. Like, why did you murder somebody? Oh, we won't get into it. But um, I think that... Well, I, what happened for me is that I went to Transylvania, which is uh, a mix. It actually had a, a really terrible, um, violent attack recently from a conservative student who felt who attacked Democrats in the coffee shop there. But I never felt it was a political place, but it was um, there were both viewpoints. And I definitely kind of worked through that at college. And I was a political science major and had some very liberal professors who I'm sure influenced me. I was also a women's studies minor and that uh, forever shifted my (laughs) sure ever shifted my politics. And so, and also, you know, I'm I'm married a, a Southern hardcore Democrat and somebody who grew up admiring Jimmy Carter. And I think that Mm -hmm. that was a big part of it for me. But I I think that, you know, from Ann Richards to Bill Clinton, there are plenty of Southern Democrats and to admire and to to look to. And for me, I just think that um, I guess place was was indelibly linked to politics in a way, but also was always more important. You know, some of my liberal friends in D.C. and New York were, you know, aghast that I would move back to my hometown where I knew most everybody was a Republican. But, you know, Mm -hmm. Beth and I are dedicated to the idea that politics is about nuance and it's not a team sport because we are all on the same team. And if if half the population loses, we all lose. And so I think that for me, it's a powerful experience living in a place now where my politics do not necessarily align with everyone because 
Um, and I always use this example, and my husband tells me I should stop because it's sort of a wacky example. But just go with me here. I uh, <laughs> used to love the re- when I still watch TV. I used to love the reality show Sister Wives, which was the TLC show with the um, polygamous family. And I remember one time one of the wives said, "You know, we believe that this is a spiritual practice." That it is not easy to be and with their, with other wives, but that it help it makes you confront your selfishness and it makes you confront your own prejudices and your own sort of downfalls and it quote unquote rubs the rough edges off. So what I would say about being a Democrat in the South is it rubs your rough edges off, right? Like it's not you cannot surround yourselves with people who will just agree with you and tell you everything you say is right and aren't you smart? Like it's just. Not the reality. And I wouldn't want it that way. I like that people disagree with me. I like that when I ran for office, it was a nonpartisan position, but that people said, you know, I know we don't agree on everything, but I trust you and I know you'll do what's best for this town. And that's what matters. And I think that confronting those things and really having to think through why you believe what you believe is a really powerful experience. And um, I don't regret it. And I think that um, every day I learn something more about my politics and other people's politics and that politics um, more than anything, is about emotion and about identity. And I think that that can be um, really powerful. Yeah, I love what you said about place over politics, because I do think in the South, being a Southerner almost trumps all. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it Because we are very, I mean, for many of us, our families go back generations. Um, this is where, I mean, you're not alone. Like, I feel like a lot of people my age in Thomasville have moved back to Thomasville to raise their children here um, because they like the idea of living, Thomasville's a small town, and they like the idea of living in this small town. And yet every day, like you, I feel like I'm rubbing my rough edges off because every day I'm surrounded by people who think and act differently from me. But I think that's so important to live and be in community with people who are different from you. It goes back to our conversation we had on your podcast about reading about people who are different from you. Um, All of these things help us have more empathy and help us have more understanding. And being in the South and maybe having ideas and and political leanings that might look different from somebody else, that's a good thing. Like, I want to live in a diverse community with a wide range of belief systems, and and whether that's religious or political, like, I want to be surrounded by people who are going to make me better by having really great conversations. And and Southerners are good conversationalists. Mm -hmm. I really do believe people will sit down and talk with each other instead of at each other here. And um, that doesn't always happen, but I think it does happen a lot um, where we can actually sit down and have really great conversations um, with people who are different from us. The South is a quirky, unique place to choose to live. And I think it's, I think you're right. I hope it's making us, making us better and making us try harder to create a better place for our kids and for our, our for ourselves. Oh, absolutely. So I've got four questions we try to ask guests who are on our podcast. So I wanted to kind of close with those. My first question is, what is a classic you've never read but wish you had? War and Peace. I'm going to do it. Oh, no, wait. I have. Can I have more than one? I'm really bad at these lightning round questions because I refuse to pick one answer. So War and Peace, I started but didn't finish. And I'm going to do it one day. I okay. also keep feeling like Don Quixote comes up a lot when I like read things and as a reference point. Have you ever read it? I have not read it. Okay, good. Well, that makes me feel better. That makes me feel better. But I feel like it comes up all the time. And I'm like, dang, maybe I should read that book. But I hear it is an intense 
it's not like an easy read. So I didn't pick two easy ones, yeah. but I do feel like those are two that I should read eventually. Okay. You have a podcast. We have a podcast. What are some of your favorite podcasts to listen to? Well, I listen to a lot of political podcasts, surprising nobody. So I listen to um, Pod Save America, and I listen to the Weeds Voxes podcast, and I listen to um, I'm a big I'm a big NPR girl. So I listen to This American Life. I also like a lot of the programming from WNYC. So I listen to Death, Sex, and Money, and I listen to Freakonomics. I love Freakonomics, The Hidden Brain. So I like sort of learny podcast. My husband is okay. very different from me. He likes just comedy podcasts, and it drives me bonkers. I'm like, no, we should be learning something. Why are we listening to it if we're not learning something? And he's like, because I'm exhausted. I don't want to learn anything. I just want to laugh. And I'm like, ugh. It's a terrible idea. I want to learn all the things. Well, and podcasts make that so easy because I feel like while I'm doing laundry or yes. while I'm walking to work or driving, like I can, it just feels like I'm using my time so efficiently. Well, and I, but I will say this. Do you know, have you ever heard of Tara Brock? No. She is a really famous Buddhist meditation person and sort of an influencer. Okay. I mean, I think she's been on like Tim Ferriss's podcast, which I don't listen to because while I do enjoy some of his advice, he just sort of drives me nuts. But um, she just did this two-part series on her podcast. She does meditations, which is how I started listening to her. So if, you like, if you're a person that likes guided meditation, hers are really good. But sometimes she'll do a series. Okay. And she just did this two-part series called um, – was it healing, healing or addressing the over controller, uh, which I am, Uh-oh. which we all are. Uh-oh. It's the ego, you know, it's the, and she talked when I just said that I use the word should to read those two books. She talks about like the over controllers, like only strategy is to overthink things. And they use the word should a lot because they're battling reality. And it's just like totally rocked my party. And I've been thinking about it constantly the last few days. So I highly recommend if if let's just say for, you know, argument's sake you might have issues with controlling which I do. What? Then it's which I like a lot of women do, then it is so good. Oh, and I also really love On Being with Krista Tibbet if you've never listened to that podcast. Oh, I do too. What is your favorite part about life in the South? <sighs> oh, my favorite part. Well, I'm not going to sing. I'm tempted to, but there's a really fantastic Indigo Girl song about um, Southland in the springtime. And right now where I live is just stunningly beautiful with the trees and the blooms and the flowers. So it is a very beautiful place where I live. I like that we have seasons. Mm -hmm. Do you like how I'm not picking one thing? And I love that we have seasons. And I will say this. I was telling somebody the other day that when I lived in Washington, D.C., the first thing people asked you, like, at a cocktail party was, who do you work for? Which is just a a crappy question. It's like, who do you have access to? What can I get from you? Like, it's there's just so much wrapped up in that question. But the first thing people ask you in Paducah is, do you have any kids? And where do you go to church? (laughs) Now, I understand the second one can be alienated to certain people, but— um, it's just really, you know, I love that people ask, do you have kids? And they love to hear about your kids and they want to see pictures of your kids. Or right now, honestly, I think that shifted so much right now in the South. It's, I saw that picture on Facebook. That's the question I get. Everybody knows I have kids. Everything, everybody knows what my kids are doing. So it's always like, I just thought that picture of Felix was so cute or that video was so funny, which I just love. That is so, oh gosh, that is so true. I've never thought about that. I, that's why I love asking this question. Um, because I had one guy on our podcast, he said, well, my favorite part about the South is the wave. And I was like, what are you oh, talking yeah. about? And he was like, you know, when you're driving in the car and you just like lift your two fingers. Yep. Like, hey. Oh, the finger. I know and exactly I like, what you're talking oh, about. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yep. Oh, my gosh. And, and then and then you saying those two questions, that is 
exactly like in Thomasville too. Those are the two questions. Yeah. Do you have children? Where do you go to church? Where do you I go to love church? it. Yep. Um, so funny. Um, okay. And then what are you reading right now? Okay. So I read a lot of books at once um, just because that's how I roll. So I'm working my way through Tools of Titans, Tim Ferriss again. Enjoy his advice. Just don't okay. enjoy his podcast, which is a bit, it's a behemoth of a book, but it's real easy to tackle a little bit at a time. Um, okay. My book club with my two college friends, we're going to read East of Eden, which I've read before. I don't reread a lot. I've only reread Harry Potter, I think, truly. But this is one of my favorite mm-hmm. books, and I haven't read it in so long. So we're reading East of Eden. And then I am reading, um, I just finished The Talent Code which was a recommendation from Anne Bogle on Modern Mrs. Darcy. And um, I think I – I don't think any of my – I haven't started the book club pick, Modern Mrs. Darcy's book club pick for May yet. And so I'm going to be starting that soon. I'm waiting for the library to get it to me. What's her May book? Um, I'm going to have to look it up real fast. It's – I can see the cover. PC Me Together. PC Me Together. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. By Renee Watson. So I'm excited about that one. So I'm going to get that. That's going to be my next – Fiction read, although I don't know. I might squeeze in Exit West first. Oh, I hope you do. And report back. I'd be curious to know. I will. I will. So, yeah, it's a long, long list. That's good. You're in good company. That's what we That's what we all do here at the bookshelf. Big, big old nightstand filled. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I, that's exact because I recorded my bedroom, and I was, like, looking at my nightstand. There's another one that I can't <laughs> remember. I think it's called, like, Love Where You Belong or Love Where You Live or something like that. That was another. Oh. And did a really good post the I other mean, day that was, like, six books I could wish I could download into my brain. And I was like, oh, I'm working yeah. my way through this list. And that was on there. So that's my, that's next up. I think, is it called This Is Where You Belong? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's it. Yeah. It's fantastic. It would, it changed. I mean, we've been talking this whole time about the South and Southern culture, but the reality is it was a little bit of an adjustment for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, that book helps me so much in loving this small town and, and loving what I'm doing. Cause I wanted, I already loved the bookshelf, but um, I wanted to fall in love with Thomasville, and um, that book was really helpful. It, she's, it's like Gretchen Rubin for Loving Where You Live. So. Oh, I love that. Oh, sold. I love I love Gretchen Rubin. I'm so excited about her new book. Yes, me too. Um, okay, Sarah, thank you so much for coming on from the Front Porch. Thank you so much for having me. This was fantastic. This is like a resource we Sherpa's will. dream. That's what my co-host calls me. <laughs> Good. We will put a link in the show notes to Pantsuit Politics and to some of the books and articles and things that we mentioned today. Um, But thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. You can find full episodes of From the Front Porch on iTunes or on our store website. That's www.bookshelfthomasville.com. You can also find titles that we mention on the podcast under the shop tab of our website. So if you're looking for a way to support um, From the Front Porch or the bookshelf, you can do that by maybe making a book purchase through our online store. We would love for you to do that, and we are so grateful when you do. You can find more information about Sarah in the show notes. I will link to Pantsuit Politics, and I hope you give their podcast a listen because I think nuance is especially important in our current climate, and Sarah and her co-host Beth really do a good job of tackling some difficult issues with nuance, and I really appreciate that, and I have loved listening to their podcast. I have learned a lot listening to their podcast, and I think you will too, so I will stick links to those in the show notes. As usual, thank you so much for listening, and we will see you guys next week.